Good, good, good. Well, man, it is so good to have you guys with us today. Welcome to part two of Reclaim the Table. Um, we, we kicked this series off last week, and, um, and we had a, a real challenging talk um, about just reclaiming the relational potential of the table. Um, you know, it's one of those things that's just gotten very reduced in our culture, um, and it's such an important place for us to uh, disciple our kids, build relationships, those kind of things. Uh, so we're specifically talking about family, but of course these principles can be used across the board. Um, but the challenge that I gave you guys last week, um, I'm curious, how many of you guys did the challenge? Anybody participate? Come on guys, that is weak. Okay, this week, you got three weeks left in this challenge. You can do this. I believe in you. Nobody's stealing it. This is, this is terrible. Okay, here's the challenge. It's really not that difficult. Pray over every meal, no matter where you are, what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you're in a meeting or high school cafeteria. Pray, pray over your meal. And then have four family meals together every week. Um, now, I know that's, that's steep. That's a lot for somebody. But at least try to get as many as possible. And really the big thing is in those settings to have intentional conversations, to have meaningful conversations where devices go away, um, TVs go off. Uh, you're actually looking across the table eyeball to eyeball at, at, at each other, and you're peering into one another's souls. It's an amazing moment. It's an amazing time. So this is the challenge, and I want to encourage you guys to keep going. Okay, three more weeks. You can do this. Just keep it going. I've already heard so many incredible stories um, of people that will just text or email or whatever just to say, man, had I not had this moment, this would not have happened. Had I not opened up this conversation or created this space for conversation to happen or for this relational moment to happen, I would have never known about these other issues or this other thing or whatever. So it's already happening. Like just simply sitting, talking, being meaningful, being intentional is a big deal. And so um, I also encourage you guys to get on social media and post a few pictures and, and kind of what's going on. You don't have to have perfect pictures. Just post about what God is doing at the table. And I want to show you a couple of those real quick. Uh, this is Mr. Garrett Hughes. I think just about everybody knows Garrett Hughes. He's been around forever. But this is Garrett's small group. A whole week after Fusion has officially ended, their small group got together to reclaim the table to build some relationships together. Um, so that's pretty incredible. The next one is my man Scotty Lewis over in Mobtown. Mobtown, you guys give it up for Scotty. Scotty did it right. I'm not going to lie. I want you to just go ahead and I want you to look at this. Um, Scotty knows what's up. Look at that dessert. And not only, I mean, it's like there's like 10 of them. There's like so much happening right here that I'm starving right now. Um, but, he, but he said, man, we put our devices down and we, we were relational. We just had meaningful conversation. Um, and then the one and only, our very own Pastor Jonathan Spuler. I mean, you guys give it up for Pastor Jonathan Spuler. <clears throat> I love this. They, they took it to the next level and created the cell phone coop. And Pastor Jonathan actually wrote this himself. Um, <laughs> No, I'm kidding. His six-year-old son did. But, um, but that's amazing. The whole family that created this cell phone coop, and if you missed last week, it's just a place to put your cell phone. Just hide it away, tuck it away so that you can be engaged and be present, be there with the family. Um, so if you, uh, if you haven't gotten involved on social media, I encourage you to do that. Uh, just post a picture, post a thought for the day, um, a testimony or a story of what God's doing. Um, because I believe that this simple, simple thing, God can use it to do something extraordinary. Um, in our families, within our families, because that's what this is about. And, um, and so, you know, I said that this series is, is kind of geared toward the family, but it, it works in relationships in general. Um, and so today, the principles that I want to talk about, um, they're very much things that could be unpacked in, in a single's life, in an empty nester's life. It doesn't just have to be with kids. 
Um, but, you know, so, but for the most part, we're talking about family specifically. Um, and, and last week, you know, again, we talked about reclaiming the table, the relational power of the table. Um, and so this week, I want to I wanna take it one step further, and I've kind of called this the family table. Um, you know, one, one of the interesting things about the creation of the world is we know, we know the Genesis account. We know that God created the sun, the moon, the earth, the animals. We know that. But the thing we don't really think much about is that God actually created family. I mean, God actually created it with a purpose, with an intent. Um, he created, he looked at this guy named Adam, who he had already created, and he just looked, and he's like, man, this guy's pitiful. He's pathetic. Like, look at this guy. He, he's never going to amount to anything unless I give him someone that's smarter, unless I give him someone that's prettier, unless I give him somebody that can actually get some stuff done. So he created Eve. And in that moment, the first family was created. Right then, in that moment, family was created. And God had so much potential that he, that, that he put into that family. He, all of what he wanted to do on this earth was going to come from that family, from humans, from that, from that original family. God had so much intent, so much purpose behind it. Because God created the family, and ultimately he created the family to thrive. He, he created the family to grow, and in our world today, in our society, it's sometimes kind of hard to think that families could actually thrive in our world today. You know, it's, it's, sometimes it's a little bizarre to think, man, could we actually beat the statistics? Could we actually have families that thrive and go on to do amazing things and stay together and stay connected and empower their kids and to see their kids and their generation beyond generation just continue to grow and grow and grow? And I believe that that was God's original intent. It was the way that he built us. Um, you've probably had this experience happen. I'm sure you have. Um, but where you go to a restaurant and you sit at a table um, and the table is extremely wobbly. Has anybody ever experienced this? Right? I don't know why people that own restaurants don't fix their tables. It can't be that hard, but you sit down at a table and it's wobbly and everything's falling and I put my elbows on it and it comes toward me and then it goes toward them and it's like this crazy like dance, right? It's this crazy like, ooh, I don't know what to do. So I grab a sugar packet, put it underneath one leg, right? I ain't gonna do it. Mm -mm, nope. Get a napkin, fold up a napkin, slide it up underneath there. Still not going to do it. Have you ever done this one? I'll actually get a fork and use that little curve in the fork and wedge that bad boy up underneath there. Mm -mm, ain't going to do it, right? And no matter how much I try, I cannot get those tables to stay sturdy, to, to stay stable. And what happens is the more it wallows, the more it wobbles, the more those things happen, it just gets worse and worse and worse till eventually the table collapses. And as I was sitting at, at this table a couple weeks ago, it just dawned on me that not only is the sitting at the table important, but we could look at the table as the family. Because so many of our families are wobbly. They're wobbly. And the more we wobble, the more that they, that they shake, the more that they're unstable, the quicker they're going to end up falling apart. And so today I want to look at the table more as a metaphor, more as a way of saying, man, how could we have a family that's like a table, that's strong, that's sturdy, that's not going anywhere, that's extremely stable? Now, this is my metaphor, and I have the microphone, so my table has four legs, okay? So, so, so I'm going to talk about the four legs that create a strong and sturdy table, because I believe that the families are so important. Our families are so important in us becoming who God's called us to be. Now, these four topics, I'm going to hit them quickly. They're big, big topics, and I'm going to hit them with just kind of a, a broad stroke. I'm just going to hit them with this big, bold, broad brush, um, and there's a whole lot more depth in these, in these things that you could get into. So I want to encourage you, man, if this is, if something kind of 
strikes a chord with you, I want to encourage you to, to lead your family well, parents, and, and dig in and read a book or, or do whatever you got to do to learn something to grow your family um, into a more healthy and stable uh, place. So the first of these four legs, the first of these four legs is values. Values. Now, again, these four legs are going to create stability. These four legs are going to create a strong and sturdy table. And this thing of values is extremely important. My question is this, is what kind of table is your family? Like, if in the, get in this metaphor with me. What kind of table is your family? Some of you are very rustic, very farm table style, right? Very Chip and Joanna Gaines, right? Anybody, right? You're like at this really cool table, super in right now. You got some cotton sitting on top of it and something trendy. And then some of you guys are on the other side, and you're like this ornate, formal dining table with fine china, and you've got all this other kind of stuff. But listen, here's the thing. We're all, we all have our own individual style and personality and the way we do life, the way that we are. So what kind of table are you? I think it's extremely important that we define what kind of table we are. What kind of family are we? Who are we going to be? What are important to us? What are the things in life that are most important to us that, that are non-negotiables? This is who we are. This is the way that we live. So many people just take their hands off the steering wheel of family and just let it go wherever it goes. But values, family vision and values is setting a destination in mind and then driving the car there and leading the family there. When we set these values in place, because you never get anywhere, anywhere great by accident. You never get anywhere great by accident. You have to be intentional. If you want to have a healthy family, you got to be intentional. You've got to build a, a healthy family. And that means you've got to be intentional to create values, to create a vision, to create a mission for this family of who are we? Who do we want to be? What's important to us? And Joshua, we see him, and he makes this incredible statement. And so many of us have kind of this on our walls, or we have this put up in our homes. But in Joshua 24, verse 15, he says this, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day who you're going to serve. Hey, make a decision. Quit saying one thing and doing another thing. Like, just make a decision, man. Are you in or out? Everybody's wondering. Everybody's wanting to know, man, are you in this thing or are you out? Like, decide today. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the gods of our ancestors beyond the Euphrates? Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land we are now living? And then here's the quote that everybody puts up on a wall and all this kind of stuff. Joshua says, but it's for me and my house. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. I mean, that's a really cool poster. That's a really cool screensaver. That's a really cool t-shirt. I don't know what else you do with it. Okay, it's really, really cool, but the problem is most of us do not live it out. We have not identified what does it mean to actually live this way. What are the things that our, our home believes and the things that, that, that we've got set up as, man, this is how we live. This is what we do. What happens is we create values. We create these things, but we create them indirectly. We create them by the decisions that we make and the way we spend money, the way we spend our energy and our time. We're telling our kids what we value. We're telling them what we really believe about the world. We're telling them what's really truth about the world. And what happens is when they get to, to the, toward the end of that destination, they're off track. Because we haven't set those values in place to say, no, 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 as for me and my house, this is how we live. This is how we do things. Like we're really, really quick and we're really, really fast and sure to say, man, you are not going to be late for dance 
lessons this week. We're like, we're not going to miss, you know, you're going to get your biology homework done. You're going to get, you know, to football practice. These things are important. We said yes, our honor, it's important. Like all these kind of things. But what about spiritual things? What about the things of God? Are those things values in our homes? Are things like kindness, selflessness, are those things values in our home that we talk about, that we celebrate? You know, are those things alive and active in our home? What about, what about cheating and lying? Like, is that something that's tolerable or is it a non-negotiable? No, this is who we are. It does not work. These things have to be in our lives. We have to have these things put up in our families. Family values on faith and on praying and reading the word and doing these things together because this is what we believe. This is the kind of table that we want to be. This is the kind of table that we want to create. We want to celebrate those things whenever we live them out. We want to celebrate those values, but then this is how we discipline. We discipline against these. We discipline. I mean, listen, you lied. You cheated. Our family doesn't do this. We don't live this way. Okay, I, I, I kind of think about it like this. I, I love the, the kids love to go bowling. We love to go take them bowling. Um, and, and, you know, the little ones, my five-year-old especially, like she needs those little gutter lane, those little gutter rails that come up, right? Does anybody else need those little gutter rails? Amen. Okay, right? Those things help me get to my destination, right? But think about it. If my five-year-old, when she throws that ginormous bowling ball that's twice the size of her head, when she throws it without those gutter rails, 150% of the time, it goes to the gutter. I know it's statistically not possible, but it does. Every single time, it's going to wind up in a gutter. Every single time. But it's so magical that when those little guardrails come up, all of a sudden, she can get to the destination. She can make it where I want her to get, whether it's a strike or a split. What, it don't matter. Whatever it is, dang it, we're just going to get there. We're going to make it. Right? Because I've put those guardrails up and I've said, no, no, family, this is how we live. This is who we are. These are the kind of decisions that we make. And because of those gutter rails, she will make it to the destination. She will get there whenever I put those things in place. Proverbs 22, 6 says this, um, that start children off the right way, the way that they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Hey, just get them on the path. Set them toward the destination. Make it very, very clear that this is the kind of family we are, and when they are, when, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. So number one is values, and the second leg is honor. The second leg is honor. I, I believe that we live in a culture that honor is a foreign concept. I mean, a foreign concept. I believe that word means nothing in our world today. But I believe the place that it needs to be and it needs to thrive more than any other place on the planet is within our walls, our homes. We need to understand honor and the power of honor both to a dad, to a, to a wife, to, to the kids, to, to people outside the home. We need to understand honor. And Jesus experienced what dishonor does. He experienced what the effect of dishonor um, has and ultimately had on his ministry. In Mark 6, we see this story where Jesus, it says, Jesus left there and he went to his hometown. Okay, this is his hometown. This is not where he was born, but of course this is where he was raised. And it said this, he was accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus did what he does. He goes to the synagogue and he begins to teach. And many who heard him, man, they were amazed. They were amazed at his teaching. Man, this guy's incredible. Where did he get all of these things? This is his hometown. Where did this guy get all of these things? Like, this is, this is incredible. What is this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles that, miracles that he's performing? 
I mean, they're just blown away. And then some, some rando guy comes walking up in verse 3 and he goes, Hey, isn't this that carpenter? Isn't this just Mary's boy that lived down there on whatever street? Right, and he's got all those brothers. I mean, he's got James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. I mean, he's just—he's got some sisters. They're around here somewhere. Like, like, isn't that just that guy who was so annoying in school? He always got straight A's. Like, he was always had the right answer. He never did anything wrong. I mean, he was just this great kid, this annoying kid. Right, all of a sudden you see this sense of familiarity. He's like, isn't this just the guy that lived right down the street? And the very next verse says this: Jesus said to them. A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his, in his own home. In his own home. That word without honor in the Greek, it means this, to treat as common or ordinary. This, this right here is one word in the Greek, and it means to treat as common or ordinary. Let me tell you something. If you dishonor within the family, you will have a common and ordinary family. If dishonor is prevalent, is alive in your family, then it will be a common and ordinary family. And to put that in perspective with what's common and ordinary in our world, that's pretty bad. With what's ordinary in, in our world today, that's pretty bad. But the flip side of that, the opposite of that word means this. It means to value, to highly esteem, to treat as precious, to treat as weighty or valuable. It's to, treat, it's to ascribe worth to something. It's for me to esteem something, to apply value to it, because honor lifts up and dishonor tears down. Honor believes the best in someone. Honor gives somebody the benefit of the doubt, but dishonor levels them. Levels them. And here's the difference, real quick, between respect and honor. It's this, is that respect is earned, but honor is given. Honor is given. We can freely give honor. Even if we don't think somebody deserves honor, we can give honor. I've heard it said time and time again, well, as soon as they start living honorably, then I will show them honor. But I have seen it many and many times that whenever you begin to show someone honor that doesn't deserve it, they will begin to live honorably. It has a way of empowering people to get up and above, to rise above. It lifts people out of wherever they are, and it takes them to a new level of humanity. It brings them up to a new level. And Jesus saw this. He saw this active in, in his day. The very next verse said this, because of this, he could not do any miracles there except just lay hands on a few people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. They had a lack of faith because they saw him as ordinary. They didn't value him. They didn't see, they didn't believe in him. They had no faith in him because they thought, oh, this is just... Joseph's boy, what the heck is he going to do? He didn't know anything. Hey, go build us some furniture. That's what you should do. Right? They don't see the worth and the value in him. And so Jesus said, I can't do anything here. I can't do anything here because they did not believe in him. I want us to have homes where honor is so active and thrives within our homes that it spills out into our world. That our families begin to lead the way when it comes to honor, when it comes to actually engaging our society in a positive way. Right? Where we're talking about things completely different than anyone else is talking about things. The Bible is very clear that we should honor our parents, no matter how old we are. The Bible is very clear that we should honor our leaders, whether that's political, whether that's local, whether that's pastors and, and church leaders, or whether that's volunteers here at the church, whether that's teachers and coaches. We're to honor leadership. And then ultimately, we're to honor God. 
But honor has to be alive and it has to thrive within our homes for us to have a sturdy family. Um, the third leg of the table is communication. And I know this word is one of those things that when you talk relationships, it always comes up. This is a huge problem, probably the top one or two issues when it comes to failed marriages is communication. Massive topic. Obviously, I can't cover it all right now. This is a series and a half in itself. But there's one particular part of this topic that kind of goes right along with honor that I think is so needed in our world today. We need to learn to speak life. We need to learn to speak life over the identity of our kids, of our friends, of our family, those at our table and those in our neighborhood, those at our church, those that we serve with, those that we work with. We need to learn to speak life, but it begins at the table. It begins at the family. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Listen, we see a whole lot of death by the tongue. A whole lot of death by the tongue. Right? I can't even watch the news. I, half the time I have to get off social media. I just can't stand the fact that it's death by the tongue everywhere we go. We have to be a source of speaking life because our words can actually create something that's beautiful and sweet. Something that is good in our world today. And if you don't want that in your family, then I don't know what's wrong with you. Like that's, that's what our family should be made of is that kind of life constantly and forever in our family where our kids can grow and, they, and we can speak those kind of formation words over them. And let me just be real, real honest. This is a big one for me because I stink at this. Personally, I am terrible at this. It is something I have to consciously work on day in and day out and I have to watch my words. Because I am wired, God specifically wired me with a certain critical mind. And man, I can pick something apart, I can, I can digest, I can deconstruct, I can figure out problems. Like I'm very critical, but the problem is, is when my fleshly nature gets a hold of that, God-given ability, and all of a sudden my flesh takes it and turns it and turns it toward people, and then I hurt people. Because I'm critical, and I can be negative. And I don't know who that's for right now, but I guarantee you there's somebody in the room that their words are negative, and you're going, well, it's just the way I'm wired. It's just the way I am. I just see things negatively. No, no, you can harness that, and you can control it because God wired you for a reason. But he didn't wire you to hurt people. He wired you to speak life into people and to build people up, to, build, to speak life, to speak things into existence that weren't already there. Identity, life into people, blessings, encouragement. And I love this story, and, and, and all the go- or three of the Gospels um, talk about this story where Jesus first shows up on the scene, and his cousin, John the Baptist, he's out in the river, and he's baptizing people. And Jesus shows up, and John is the very first to affirm, to speak life over Jesus. He looks at him, and he goes, hey, this guy right here, he's the man. Like, I'm nobody. Like, I'm just warming up the crowd. Here's the main event. Come on in here, brother, and do your thing. Like, that's John. And then immediately, God audibly says... And a voice came from heaven that you are my son, whom I love, and in you, with you, I am well pleased. Before Jesus ever stepped into his identity on this earth, before Jesus ever did anything that he was put here to do, his father God spoke life into him and said, I am pleased with you, I affirm you, I know who you are, I designed you, I created you, I have, I have a purpose for you. He spoke life over him. 
And our kids are out in a world where they're getting spoken death and negativity and hurtful words. And they're coming home with it stuck to them. They're coming home with it attached to them. And if those things get into our heart, it creates bitterness and pain that will last forever. Our homes have to be a sanctuary, a refuge where life is spoken and those things can't stick. They can't stay. Man, no matter how much negativity they pick up in the world, when they come home, when they come to my house, I'm speaking life and those things just fall off so that they can step into who they truly are. Let me say this one last thing. The ability to speak life can only come from the source of life. The ability for you to speak life can only come from the ultimate source of life. And you've got to get to know him. You've got to spend time with him. If right now your words at the dinner table are negative or what I wish I had, or man, if we had more of this, or, or, or you're sorry at that and you shouldn't have done this, we shouldn't have done that, then you need to get with the source of life a little bit. And you need to let him download his words into you so that then you can spit them back out. So then you can speak those things into your family. Your communication, your speak talks, starts there. It starts with the source of life. Okay, fourth leg. Another big one is time. Time, man, that's going to create a strong and sturdy table is time. And this is, again, one of those topics that everybody goes, yeah, 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 we've heard that. Relationships, you got to have time. you got to have quality time. you got to have quantity time. you got to have all this. Look, go read a book. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about. Go read a book. Yes, you need all of those things. You need time with your family. But I think in our day and age and when we live right now, there's a little bit of a bigger problem that goes beyond just a clock and a calendar. Have you ever sat down with somebody, whether it's coffee or just any setting, it could be in a meeting, and you realize that they're not really there? I mean, I don't mean that in like an I see dead people kind of way. Um, I mean, they're physically there, but like mentally and emotionally, they're over there somewhere. Right? Have you ever experienced this? I believe that this is a, a plague in our world today. That we are so preoccupied, our focus is so divided, that it almost looks a little bit like this. It's like whenever I come home, I sit this guy with the family and see if I Right? This is what we do. This is the American way, right? That, that we're so preoccupied and we're so distracted and our focus is somewhere else that even when I'm here, I'm actually over there somewhere and I leave this guy sitting at the table. So my kids are dealing with this guy. This is not the real me. There's no emotion here. This is a shell of me. This is, this is just a creepy, weird version of me that freaks me out every time I look at it. I'm not going to lie. It's like, yeah, who's that guy? Right, but this is the way we treat our families. This is the way, we, not just families, life. We go through life this way. One little chirp, one little chime, and it's like muscle memory, right? The phone comes out. Boop. Just like that. Boom. Just so fast. I realize this too, that if there is a lull in time at home, if I've got five seconds where all of a sudden I realize I'm not doing anything, what, what do you do? You pull your phone out immediately, just like that. Instead of going, how can I engage and be fully present right now at my home, in my, in my kids' lives, in my family's life? Like, what can I do right now to fully lock in with my kids, to fully engage them? Devices have become this thing, man, that just create this here and there deal where all of a sudden we disconnect and I'm not here anymore, I'm over there. I've left this creepy cardboard version of myself here so that I can be over there. And the other thing is work. I mean, so many of us, we stay clocked in even when, whenever we're at home. 
mentally and emotionally. We leave this guy at home, and then in our brain, we're working on tomorrow's schedule, the budget for the meeting next week. We're, we're, we're building PowerPoint presentations, and you should stop because PowerPoint's old, and you should get something new. But in your mind, you're building these other, you're doing all these other things instead of being here in the moment. Last, uh, about six weeks ago, I came home one afternoon, and, um, and every day whenever I come home, my, my, my self-talk, it's prayer, but it's also self-talk, is when I'm driving home, this is my most important meeting of the day. This is my most important setting of the day. Like, they don't get leftovers, they get me. They get more of me than this church ever gets. They get more of me than anyone else ever gets. I'm going to walk through that door, and I'm going to be me, man. I'm going to be fully engaged. And so we walk in that day, I walk in that day, and the kids are doing their thing. It's a little crazy, um, but we end up out in the front yard. Becky's watering the blueberry bushes, and before we knew it, we had grabbed the water hose, and we were just having a water fight, just a good old-fashioned, spontaneous water fight, all fully dressed and fully clothed and just soaking wet. And we laughed, and we had so much fun. Still to this day, six weeks later, about every three days, when we go around the table and talk about the best thing that's happened today— my five-year-old Nora, she'll still say, the water fight. I'm like, baby, that was six weeks ago. She's like, I don't care. It was awesome. <laughs> if this guy would have come home, we would have never had a water fight. If this guy would have come home, I would have never created a memory for my child that years from now, years from now, she's going to be going, Dad, you remember that time? That we got out there in the yard and you got the water hose and it was crazy, so funny, right? The thing she's not going to do is she's not going to say, Dad, remember that time we were all sitting around and you pulled out your phone? Wasn't that awesome, Dad, that you were like, you were just like Instagramming? And it was like, it was so cool the way you were like double tapping those things and getting a little heart to pop up. I mean, Dad, it was amazing, right? No, listen, life is a gift. Life is a gift that we have to be fully present to receive. And if we're not fully engaged and fully present, then we miss out on life, and that's what it's all about. What it's all about is living life to the full and getting rid of this guy. Getting rid of this fake version of ourselves that sits in our place. And some of you guys, you're here, but you're there could be resentment from the past. And you're there right now is that you're living 20 years ago based on hurt and fear and whatever else. And then some of you guys, you're here, but you're there is actually in the future because you're worried sick. And you're worried about what's coming and what's going to happen. And, and nobody around you gets all of you because you're so worried about the future. You're, you're there. I don't know who that's for, but it's for somebody. Whatever it is, you've got to learn to be fully engaged and fully present in the moment where you are right then. Because life is a gift that you have to be fully present to receive. So that's our four legs. That's our, the four legs of our table are values, honor, communication, and time being fully fully present. But four legs do not make a table. They're just four random posts. They're just four random things. In order to create a table, it has to have a top. It has to have that slab that goes on top that actually connects the four legs. And that slab is the most important piece of a table. Without the slab, you don't have a table. And the slab in our family is love. Simple as that is, the slab, the table, the thing that connects it all together is love. It's unconditional love. And you know, love is one of those words that just gets thrown out at everything. Man, I love my coffee, I love my car, I love, you know, whatever the things are, we just throw it around. And love is ultimately, it's a decision. 
that I'm going to make to stay engaged and I'm going to love right now. And the only way that we can do that is when we tap into love. God is love. Jesus is love. And we make him the center of our home. We make him the main thing. And what I love about this is when the slab gets connected to those four legs, it takes it from being something that's pretty useless and makes it something useful. All of a sudden, this thing becomes something that's both beautiful and useful. It has purpose. When love is in the center of your family, all of a sudden, there's a purpose in your family. There's a reason for your family. I love 1 Corinthians 13. It's one of those, one of those passages that we read. I love to read it at weddings. Um, it's just one of those things that, that, that just speaks to love so, so well. But in the message translation, um, I believe that it speaks so uh, directly to family and marriage. And I, I want to read this. I want to read this, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, this is First Corinthians. Now, just think about this in the context of your family. Love never gives up. Love, love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep score of the sins of others. That's a whole sermon in itself, marriages, right there. Right? It doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. It, it puts up with anything, and it trusts God always. Always looks for the best. It never looks back, but it keeps going to the very end. It never stops. It keeps going to the very end. And then the very last verse of the chapter says this, Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. Love extravagantly, and the best of these is love. The top of this list is love. The most important thing is love. Let me give you three last thoughts, quick, on the top of the table being love. And I've kind of said the first one. The first one is this, is that, um, is that it connects the legs to create purpose. It brings it all together, and all of a sudden, now I've got a table. I've got something that, that can be used, something that's purpose, purposeful. And the second one is this, is that it absorbs the everyday weight. Follow me for a second. Okay, your table now is strong. When these five things are in place, it's strong. So no matter how heavy of the stuff you put on it, if you put the laundry basket on it, or if you put a tool on it, or if you put food on it, whether it's bitter or sweet, whether it's light or heavy, it doesn't matter. Because it has a top on it, not one of those four legs is feeling all of the weight. The weight is distributed between all of them because the top of the table absorbs the weight, the everyday weight of stress, the everyday weight of financial strain, the everyday weight of, of whatever is going on in your life. When that is in place, it will be absorbed into the family. It will be absorbed into the love of the family because everyone goes, hey, listen, it's not about me. It's about us. It's about you. You're more important than me. What, what, what can I do to help you? And all of a sudden, when love is a part of it, we don't feel the everyday weight of just things being put on our family. And the third final thought is this, is it protects from the occasional storms. We've, we've heard it said, you know, if there's a big storm, you run to the bathtub or you get underneath the table. Right? Because there's safety there. There's protection there. When something big is falling... When things are collapsing, when things are coming down, when tragedy strikes, the best place to find security is within a family, a strong, sturdy family that's built on love, that's built on communication and time and honor and values. That's the place of security. That's the place of safety. So when those things come up, those big things come up, and 
and take us by storm. There's big things come up and surprise us. The best place that we should go is to the family. But how many people, when tragedy strikes, they run from the family? They go find another way of, of dealing with the problem. They go find another way of, of solving the issue or, or, or finding some other substance or some other thing instead of running to the place that creates protection. And listen, Jesus, while he was here on this earth, he physically built tables. Isn't that cool? And before he ever stepped into ministry, he actually built tables. That's what he did. He, he built furniture. He was a carpenter. And Jesus also created family. At the beginning of time, he looked down and he created family. I believe that God can build the table, the family table for you that you desire, that he wants in you. But we have to put him at the center. We have to make him the middle. We have to make him the centerpiece. We have to make him the most important part of it because without the love, without Jesus in the center, we have no table. We have no family. A family without love, is it really a family? I mean, or, or is it just a working group? Or is it just a group of people that happen to live together? They're all a whole bunch of roommates. Without that love in the center that ties it all together, that brings it together, and that's what God wants for you. That's what he wants for you, and Jesus can build that in your life. And at, at the end of today, we're going to open up the altars, and if you need prayer, your family needs prayer, I want to encourage you to come down. As a family, come down, let us pray with you. I believe there are families in this room that God wants to heal today. And it could start with these five things, maybe one of these five things that you go, man, that is so absent. That's so out of my family. I need to get that in. And I believe that God wants to today. Let me, let me pray over you and then we'll get out of here. Lord, Lord, we love you so much. And God, I pray right now, Lord, I know there are wobbly families, wobbly tables in this room right now. And I pray, God, uh, God that you would give us the ability, the, the wisdom, God, to, to, to seek you in this, God, so that you can create strong and sturdy families. Lord, may we, may we have and live by very clear values in our homes, God. May we, may we set our lives and our families up, Lord, to know the guardrails, to know who we are. God, let our homes be a place of honor. God, where we honor one another, where we honor other people and leaders and everyone around us, God, where honor, honor prevails in our homes. Lord, teach us to speak life and blessings over our kids, over our spouses, over situations, Lord. Give, give us the ability, Lord, to communicate life to form things with our words, Lord. God, remind us daily to be here and not there. God, remind us to be fully present, God, so that we can receive the gift of life. And I, I pray, Lord, that, that love would be the most evident element in our families, unconditional love. God, love that doesn't have pride, love that doesn't strut, love that doesn't, that doesn't think me first, or love that, that, God, I pray that you would have, that Jesus is love would be evident and prevalent in our, in our families, in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would build strong and sturdy families in this church. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you and we thank you, God, for what you're going to do in our families. God, the way that you're going to impact us within the four walls of our homes, God, that you can begin to pour life into us, God, as we build something great for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.